Hello and welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In. This is the podcast where we watch and review two movies randomly selected from a list of over 2,000. This week's movies are 1990's Arachnophobia and 1964's Mothra vs. Godzilla. And I am your host, Patrick, and I am joined by... Jim. Hello, Patrick. Hello, everybody else. Hello, Jim. I think I speak for everybody else in (laughs) saying that. So let's get started with Arachnophobia. Had you seen this before? Yeah, years ago. And I'll be honest, I didn't think much of it then, and I don't think that much of it now. Oh, Okay. Yeah, there's my sneak peek for my for my thoughts. I mean, it's a fine. I mean, movie. you gotta yeah. you got you gotta at least respect John Goodman. I mean, John Goodman is is a master at his craft. Yeah. Well, I've always thought of arachnophobia as kind of Disney's answer to Tremors. Yeah, I think there's some. I I don't know specifically with Tremors, but there is something about the horror of arachnophobia. This type of horror. It's I, I'll call it Spielbergian horror because steven spielberg of course is a producer here he's Mm -hmm. not directing it but if you look at some of the other horror movies he produced but didn't direct i.e i think the big one is gremlins there's also poltergeist (laughs) which poltergeist hits a little harder certainly than this movie or than gremlins does but there's still that kind of spielberg family dynamic there and then i mean that's so you see that here and yeah, this is very, very. Uh, I guess I mean it's. It, this movie's also a comedy, which or or as as they said in the marketing posters, it is a thrillomedy. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a horror movie. It, it's a comedy. It's a thrillomedy, I suppose. But uh, you know, it it doesn't have the same kind of punch that a non blockbuster type horror movie has i mean yeah i guess you go back to spielberg's first big break is jaws that became a blockbuster but i mean it kind of just became a blockbuster because it was that freaking good it was like Mm -hmm. i don't know it just there there's a different feel to the to a movie like that than there is here and you know comparing it to i I think comparing it to tremors is pretty fair tremors kind of has that horror comedy aspect to it well and I, I think maybe the only reason i've kind of thought of it as like a worse version of tremors is because i think both movies came out the same year yeah and what was tremors universal i have no idea i mean if i knew you were going to talk about tremors i would have done my fucking research <laughs> on tremors before recording this okay Oops. i just want to make that clear <laughs> but you know i'm not are you sure this is disney by the way you said it you said i mean yeah, Disney-fied uh, it, or it, whatever. it's a subsidiary of disney that produced it hollywood pictures hollywood pictures sounds like a fake i know um, <laughs> <laughs> that's it the amir shervan uh his movies were under hollywood royal pictures or something oh, just, just oh, make no. it sound official why don't you both movies came out the same year, Tremors and this, and you always hear stories about competing production companies getting scoops on what like another production company's making. Oh yeah, like Ants and uh, Bugs Life, that stuff. And yeah, and I just kind of think two thrillomedies set in small town America with colorful characters leaning more into the kind of comedy strain than horror. Other than Tremors, there's some pretty terrifying scenes in that movie it's just too much of a coincidence you know 
And I think by the way, Tremors is universal. So you were right on your speculation there. So perhaps lending credence to your whack job of a theory here. (laughs) I think it's a great theory. There's a sound logic to it, but I I don't know. I mean, the the point of like ants and a bug's life, the relationship between those movies is they at least use the same animal. Yeah. You know, yeah. Are you see what I mean? Arachnophobia yeah, Tremors. Not really the same thing. Just kind of tonally similar. They're similar movies, sort of, sort of, yes. sort of but yeah. not, you know, different creatures entirely. Well, and also, are you, are you uh, uh, terrified of spiders? Are you an arachnophobe? Are you, you know? Ter- terrified isn't the right word. When I was a kid, they really frightened me. But no, for me, it's rats. For me, it's rats. It's not spiders. Spiders, a little creepy, but I mean, what about you? I'm more afraid of giant man-eating sandworms living under the desert, you know? So again, maybe that's why I think this is kind of like a poor man's tremors. Okay, well, let's get on with arachnophobia. We're just going to jump right into it, because this movie stars a bunch of, I don't want to say nobodies, but a lot of people who haven't done that much, other than John Goodman and um, uh, what's-his-face? Jeff Daniels. Thank you, Jeff Daniels. Who I saw on Broadway a few years ago. He was in uh, the. He played the role of Atticus Finch in the Aaron Sorkin To Kill a Mockingbird. He was quite good at that. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Hollywood Pictures and Amblin Entertainment present Arachnophobia, Eight Legs, Two Fangs, and an Attitude. Perk off, Lloyd. If we find the spider that did this, you can arrest him. Arachnophobia. A thrillomedy. Well, Jerry Manley, a photographer from Canaima, California, this is the small town, is uh, called to Venezuela to assist, uh, I, I guess, this world-renowned entomologist. I think his name's Dr. Atherton. Played by Julian Sands, who I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. I'm not, a not lot really of, sure why. A lot of these actors were kind of for. around in the 90s in various things. Sure. They have familiar faces, but you can't put names to them. <laughs> this this Atherton is cataloging new species of insects, or at least attempting to, in Venezuela. And they stumble upon this new type of spider. So Dr. Atherton brings back these spiders and butterflies and all kinds of critters back to this camp. And on further examination, he realizes that these spiders are more like drones. Yeah, they don't have sex organs. Exactly, so. yeah. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Is yeah. Atherton up to no good from the start is he up to shady shit because i feel like the film kind of implies he is you know what i think it implies he is but, but they don't go far enough to making him like a mad scientist or anything like that you no know? and they he, could have done that and the first kind of like hint that you think is up to something shady is like how they collect the bugs and i don't know if that's how they do it <laughs> in real life if it is that's very unfortunate but he just pumps like a toxic gas cloud into a tree on this like plateau that hasn't had human mm-hmm. feet on it for a million years or whatever and then all these by the way this this location here which i, I say location i'm sure it's a set or mm-hmm. maybe i shouldn't say i'm sure but i i would imagine it is reminds me of the scene in the peter jackson king kong remake when they're in, in that pit of bugs oh, i don't know the, yes. for me there was some kind of visual similarity, even though this is much more colorful, that's much more gray, and I don't know. I, yeah, just, I was just slimy. thinking that. And there are insects, of course, although giant ones in that. Well, there's, the spiders aren't giant spiders, but they're bigger spiders. They're, they're, they they lean towards the heavier side as far as spiders go. <laughs> the, 
<laughs> the heavier side. Yeah, they're like tarantulas as opposed to house spiders. Yeah, I, I've actually heard, I, I don't know if this is accurate, but I have heard like, so I've always thought if you see a hairy spider, it's a tarantula. Apparently that isn't, I've been told that isn't always the case. There are some spiders that are like tarantula size, but I don't know if that's true. So, you know, I've, I've never, I've never heard that. I've never, I always thought that the hairier spiders were tarantulas. I've never seen like, no, a they're hairy... just Greek spiders. <laughs> I like I'm, like you've never seen like a hairy daddy long legs. Like, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I don't know. I think there's some family of spiders out there or some family of arachnids that is big and hairy that isn't tarantulas. <laughs> I think that's what I've been told. I don't know if it's true or not. Hey, well there's that spider that was found, wasn't it? Like right below San Quentin prison and they named it after Johnny Cash. I think they called it like Johnny I Cassius or something. Oh yeah, there's a, there's a joke about they're going to name the spider after Manly, the photographer in this. Yeah, well, and again, it, it, and he's he's kind of a fun character because he's such a wimp about being in Venezuela, and he's got like a mm-hmm. fever, and he's he doesn't like bugs, and you know he's been brought in to photograph all these critters and stuff. But when Atherton asks him what his specialty is, he says football. Oh yeah, he's wearing a Miami Dolphin. Is it a Miami Dolphins? Dolphins hat. Yeah. That doesn't make sense if he's from. Northern California, but whatever. Maybe that was the only hat they had on set. Yeah, I, I, I shouldn't say it doesn't make sense, but it's, it's, it doesn't, you know, connect to where he actually is from, but okay. Well, this poor, unfortunate Manly, back at the camp, he's kind of feeling sick. And this is after the revelation that these spiders are just drones. Also, not a revelation, but we saw oh, one of those spiders jump into the cargo that they were pulling. Yeah, like all the scientific stuff back. that they were bringing yeah. back to the camp. No one, no one noticed it, but, but we did. A keen eye on the viewer will, <laughs> will notice this thing that gets its own musical sting, and it's really subtle. Close up, crawling out of. Yeah, like I'm, a not, tree. I'm not even. I'm not even complaining. Like it, like it's stupid or anything. I just, it's, I don't know. Okay, before we go any further, there's just something about this movie, the way they film or show these spiders, which it would be so much more interesting if they had the spiders in the background. And you were just kind of like constantly looking for them throughout the movie. But I think because they realized that they're spiders and they're generally much more difficult to see, they have to like do these constant close-ups of spiders doing spidery things like crawling around and with these musical stings to know that, oh, it's getting closer to somebody, like somebody's cat or some person. I liked the scene when it first got loose back in California. I thought they... Did a pretty good job with that, where it's because it's kind of hidden by the casket and stuff. A yes, lot. like I thought that was yeah. pretty good. Well, that scene is one of my favorites, but we'll we'll get to that in a second because poor old Manly, he gets attacked by this spider. He's just sleeping in his in his tent, trying to sleep off his fever, and he gets bitten on the leg, and uh, he kind of goes into some pretty serious convulsions and then dies. Yeah, it's almost immediate. He dies probably within ten seconds. Yes. Yeah. So Atherton is alerted, and uh, him and his team make this, like, makeshift wooden coffin. And they just chuck him in there, and they're like, well, we'll send him home, I guess. But unbeknownst to them, this spider that killed him, because they don't think that it was a spider that killed him, they thought it was the fever. This mm-hmm. uh, this spider crawls into the coffin and is shipped back to Canima, California. California. This whole opening, in my opinion, way too big. You know what I mean? It's just... Well, especially for I want to... No, yeah, everything before everything in the Venezuelan jungle. Okay, we need some background backstory to understand why this incredibly dangerous 
Spider gets it to Cal gets to California. I get it, but this just feels like we are using a Spielberg budget, and <laughs> no one's going to stop us. You know, yes, like I want to yeah. see. I I think this movie would 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 work a little bit better if it starts with the family moving in and stuff. And and I understand like then you kind of have to explain how the spider gets there. I I get it, but. I don't know. It, this it reminds me of like Congo or something. It's like this high adventure movie, and then it's just not. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, and like I really liked all the stuff in Venezuela because the opening is probably like 15 minutes long or something like that. Yeah, it's not super long, but it's it's a it's a reasonable chunk of time. Also, it doesn't do a great job of establishing the tone of the movie. No, sure, we get this. We get the spider. We get the spider established. We see what it can do, how it can kill people. It, there's not a lot of, like, humor in this. Like, the humor... Let me take that back a second. There is a little bit of humor in the, you know, what, what do you specialize in? Football, that kind of stuff. But it's not really... doesn't really match the humor of, like, later in the movie. It's kind of its own thing. And that just feels like stuff that would happen... That feels like the kind of humor that would be in just, like, a an adventure movie like you know there's a little bit of comedy in, in the beginning of like indiana jones or something mm-hmm. like i i don't know it just it feels a little weird to me well and also the humor in this movie i would call kind of like a family friendly humor you mostly know? it's yeah, lots yeah. of like eye rolling and being like oh that thing that was said was silly ha ha you know <laughs> i don't want to call it a lazy humor it's just like if you're going to make a movie about killer spiders, then go all the way. Go full bore. You know what I mean? Or get like a giant spider. How can we have a spider the size of my fist? Because that's too tongue-in-cheek. That's too 50s sci-fi horror. There's, um, you know, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Plus, we've already done a movie about giant spiders this season and the giant spider invasion, <laughs> so I don't need another one of those. <laughs> well, luckily for you, they're not giant, but it is an invasion. So when this coffin is opened in Kanaima, we see these kind of clever shots of, of the spider hiding in the in the coffin while one of the morticians is kind of walking around talking on the phone. And we get this really cool reveal where we're expecting to just see Manly's body, but the mortician fella, he calls up Manly's parents, I think, and he says, you know, I know we spoke about uh, having an open casket, but I, I really think we should change that. And the camera pans down, and he's kind of, like, drained of all of his juices. He he looks like a human husk, mm-hmm. which is really, really interesting. Also, we get classic morgue humor where the mortician is eating. Yes. I've seen this in so many movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, Friday the 13th, the final chapter is the one I always think of, but I've seen so many morgues eating while examining bodies. It's incredibly lazy humor, but it, but I like it. When I saw him put his sandwich down on the table, I was like, ugh. <laughs> I was disgusted. Coming from somebody who used to work in a morgue frequently, I was disgusted. Well, the cat wasn't. The cat took the sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> it did. You're right, damn cat. But after, after this coffin is opened, we get this kind of cute, funny, interesting spider escape scene where this spider starts trying to leave the morgue and he runs into the owner's cat and this dog comes through the doggy door and the spider chases the dog off and the spider goes through the doggy door gets outside and then a crow immediately swoops down and picks it up (laughs) and begins flying this thing across town where 
Eventually, the spider bites the crow, kills it midair, and it drops to the ground. There's a a couple things I liked about this. One, I genuinely don't know how they pulled off the point of view of the spider when it got picked up. Because this is before drones and stuff, and there is a shot from... I mean, most of the time when the bird is flying, it's just a shot of the bird, but... When when it's when the spider is first picked up, it's the POV of the spider just going up, and I don't know if that's. I mean, I guess it had to have been a crane, but they made it look very fluid and everything. Yeah. It didn't feel like a crane shot. And then also, I I just I want to understand why is it okay to kill a bird, but we can't kill a cat? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly it, what you mean. There's still a, an innocent little animal. Is is well innocent? I mean, it did attack, but. <laughs> like they could, they could have they could have easily killed the cat in this. I just don't like cats. I get it, but like I don't know. They well, and there's lots of cats in this movie that could have been killed. Though I do, I, I think we do see a dead cat at one point in a spider web. Luckily for us, the viewer of this fine film, the spider is dropped on the newly purchased property of. Uh, don't tell me what his name is. The Jennings family has just moved to the small town of Kanaima. Oh, Ross, smell that air. Oh, God. Dr. Dr. Ross Jennings, played by Jeff Daniels, as we mentioned, and his lovely family that have, again, just moved into this farmhouse in the middle of the countryside because he's going to be the new town's doctor because the old doctor's going to retire or supposed to retire. All right, so his wife is played by the actress Harley Jane Kozak, mm-hmm. who apparently now is a successful mystery writer, so she doesn't act anymore. There's also a, a kind of a cult actress from the from 80s horror movies known as Heidi Kozak. I don't want to say for my entire life because it's not like I knew about these people my entire life, but for a long time I just assumed these two were sisters, right? S- same spelling, Kozak. Yeah, yeah. They're not, even though Harley Jane Kozak appears in The House on Sorority Row, that's her film debut. And Heidi Kozak is in Slumber Party Massacre 2. Okay, so what? There's just two Kozaks going around in these cheap 80s slasher movies. It's just weird <laughs> to me. They're not related. It's just strange. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, you know, Heidi Kozak, I, I, I guess she's American, but uh, she was born in Denmark. This, this Kozak, Harley Jane, born in Pennsylvania, so. Well, our Kozak, her kids alert her to a spider in the house. And we think it's this giant poisonous Venezuelan spider. But it turns out to be just a harmless little old house spider. So because now they're living in the country and because people are inherently good, she takes out this spider with her kids and puts it in their brand new, cool, dilapidated barn. But she unknowingly introduces this common house spider to this crazy giant poisonous spider. And we see them start getting handsy. But then that's kind of left. Because the side story in this is Dr. Jennings and his family have moved to this town to, like I said, take over from this old doctor. But now the old doctor doesn't want to retire. Now he wants to just kind of stay in his post until he dies. So there's a whole side story in this movie going on about how Dr. Jennings is trying to find work, trying to get patients, and the spider's path and Dr. Jennings' path uh, eventually intercept. The first patient he has, or the first like real normal townsperson he meets, is a woman named Margaret, I believe? Yeah, I like this woman. She's 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 a she's a cool she's, dude, man. She's dope yeah. as a rope. She's like, look, this old doctor, he's too much of a fucking old fart, and he's got me on these medications for like heart 
problems, and I don't think I need them. And Dr. Jennings is like, yeah, you're right. You're fit as a fiddle. You don't need this medication. I don't know why he's prescribed you this medication. I'm taking you off this medication. And she says, you know, you need more patience. I'm going to throw you a big old party, and you're going to meet everybody in town, and everybody's going to realize how wonderful you are. They're going to come to, to be doctored by you. So that's exactly what she does. Dr. Jennings gets some information that Manley died in, in Venezuela on some kind of scientific excursion. He sees or he meets Manley's parents at the party and his mother is quite drunk and she's upset that she can't have an open casket funeral. Right. Also, at, at this party, we get some of the most enjoyable characters. The uh, the football coach neighbor. Yeah, oh yeah, he's great. His, uh, yeah, he's he's hilarious in, in kind of a small part. There, there's a fun moment where he's he's talking about how his his son is like, oh, you know, his son, my son's the quarterback of the high school team, just like I used to be and everything. And then, um, and then Harley Kozak's like, oh, nepotism, huh? And then, and then, and then that guy's wife is like, no, 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 we're, uh, Angli- what does she say? We're just like, evangelicals we're or, or something. something. Evangel, yeah. yeah, we're evangelicals or something. <laughs> yeah, I, that was a, that was a fun little moment. I like those guys. I like, there's a little bit with the daughter where what was her th- oh, oh yeah like what they they ask her what are you going to school to study and she's just like jim yeah <laughs> that's that kind yeah. of funny well there's also a funny character a girl named bunny who's a neighbor kid jennings kids and this neighbor kid go, like go out to play at one point and jennings wife is like oh i i, I hope they're gonna go catch crickets or whatever oh yeah and then that it cuts to this girl bunny too. she goes want to go blow up some frogs <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yeah, but that party was good. And also you get to see more of that mortician, who's a funny character, Mm -hmm. who him and his wife are uh, rather rotund and uh, they're caught by Margaret leaving their, uh, the party just with like full plates. And she's like, do you guys want a doggy bag? (laughs) But unfortunately for Margaret, one of these mutant spiders, one of these house spiders crossed with the poisonous spider. Yeah. At this point, we've got plenty of offspring. If we didn't mention that, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we've seen them. We, we don't really know how much time has passed. And nor do I know how long, how much time needs to pass for spiders to give birth. I have no idea. When Margaret and um, uh, Dr. Jennings first meet, Margaret says, next month I'll throw you a party when the evenings are cooler. Okay. But I guess I should also say as well, Jennings is terrified of spiders. He has arachnophobia. The sun, I want to say, is a little skittish around them. They are completely unaware that this poisonous spider has made a nest in their dilapidated barn. And it is Jennings' wife who goes in and takes like some photographs of the, this big, beautiful spider's web in the barn. But let's fast forward again to Margaret's party. So as you said, Patrick, we, we already have like these scenes of spiders kind of crawling in various directions away from the barn. And one of these spiders heads to poor old Margaret's house. And we get this kind of tense little scene where we see a spider in the house and it's on the arm of a chair and it looks like it's going to kill her cat. This very fluffy, beautiful cat that Patrick hates. She moves the cat the last second, puts it outside. And as Margaret is is feeling a little nostalgic, feeling a little love for her deceased husband, she goes to turn out the light next to her and the spider drops down from the lampshade and bites her on the hand. So the next day, Jennings and his wife are trying to get a hold of Margaret to thank her for the party, but uh, she's not answering the phone. So Jennings goes over and finds her dead, and the town doctor is called, and the sheriff is called, and the sheriff's a real idiot. 
kind of like a country bumpkin, and the old doctor immediately rules her death as a heart attack. And then Jennings says, no, 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 she was very fit. I, You gave her medication, but I took her off of it. And this leads the old doctor to kind of say, how dare you? You're an idiot. You've killed this woman. You know, I want to sue you for malpractice, yada, yada, yada. And Dr. Jennings has this great line where he says something to the effect of, when people have a heart attack, or when a person has a heart attack, they don't usually bite their tongue off. Yeah, and, and he wants an autopsy, but this town is very, very hesitant to do autopsies, and this other doctor in particular is, like, offended at the idea. I thought that was kind of weird, but... Um, yeah, yeah, because he, I guess he, re- like, respects Margaret. Yeah, but, yeah, but I just, I don't know, yeah. I, he's like, I don't want you chopping up that body. It's like, okay, whatever <laughs> it is. It's, it's just kind of strange. Yes, yeah. Shortly after, Jennings is invited by this football father to come and give the entirety of the high school football team a bit of a checkup, which leads to a bit of a funny scene. But during this football practice, while Dr. Jennings is watching, we as the audience see one of these spiders crawl into the helmet of a player. And then this player runs by, puts the helmet on. In the middle of a tackle, he gets bitten by this spider and collapses. Jennings rushes out. They see that the kid is dead. But this old doctor, again, just chalks up to having a heart attack. He goes, oh, this kid must have just overexerted himself. He had a heart attack. What a shame. Oh, poor guy. Is this when the county corn no no no. it's the next death no this this is when when he's known throughout the town as dr as death D- dr death yeah, yeah. <laughs> great nickname dr death i think i mean in addition to that was um it was what's what's what was that guy's name the assisted suicide guy in i think in oregon that was kind of his nickname oh but i want to say dr death is also a puppet master character i could be wrong but so the next death in the town happens when this old doctor, who's had it coming, is at home working out before bed on his little treadmill, and uh, we see a spider crawl into one of his slippers. When he eventually does put his slipper on, he gets bitten on the toe, and he lifts his foot out of the slipper and he says, Oh my god, I've been bitten by a spider. And then he kind of starts seizing or convulsing, and he tells his wife this. His wife, by the way, is Frances Bay, who's in a bunch of... She's like classic character actress. If you need an old lady, this <laughs> this is this is your woman, right? <laughs> Happy Gilmore's grandmother. She's oh, in a bunch of David Lynch stuff. Yeah, that's she's right. She's in everything. So as the old doctor is dying, he tells his wife, he says, call Jennings. And by the time that Jennings gets there, the doctor has already died. But Jennings has obviously been told by the doctor's wife that he was bitten by a spider and then he started seizing. So this county coroner comes in. And Jennings explains what happens. He shows the spider bite on the doctor's foot to the county coroner. And they both decide that it's time to exhume some bodies. Because they're like, look, something isn't right here. People aren't just dying of heart attacks. They first call Dr. Atherton. And Dr. Atherton goes, look, it's probably not a spider. I'll send somebody, though. So he sends his assistant, Chris Collins. When Mr. Collins gets down there, that's when they decide to exhume some bodies to check for spider bites. And sure enough... On all the other victims, they find spider bites. So now they're pretty sure that there's an awful, terrible, poisonous spider running amok. And I think also, too, now Atherton is pretty interested. So he starts heading down. Yeah, Atherton initially reacted when he heard it was Kanaima. Because he's like, oh, Kanaima. Oh, that's right. Like, oh, have yeah, you heard, heard of it? Somewhere. Yeah, he's definitely intrigued. But I still don't know his, his motives. Like, was he trying to, like... 
I don't know what he wanted to do with the spiders to begin with, and maybe it's not important, but I'm still kind of, I guess I just can't get over how, like, kind of shady they wanted to present the character from the beginning, you know? Yeah, well, he also looks kind of like a bad guy, sounds kind of like a bad guy, and then he's got one of these poisonous spiders in his office that he's feeding crickets and stuff. He's just, uh, this is a confusing character, what they're trying to do with him, I guess. His, his, uh, his partner, his assistant, though, I like this guy, he's, he's kind of fun. Yeah, he's he's kind of he's that like inexperienced assistant character. Like he's squeamish at at the sight of bodies or the smell of bodies and he's he's a little jumpy as well whereas somebody like Atherton is, is like seen everything before and he's not But he's but he's also way more um way more no well than than Atherton. Yes, he, of course, but he's also way more in charge when it actually comes to spiders when um jeff daniels you know like freezes at the sight of a spider that one scene where they catch one in the in margaret's dining room yeah exactly yeah he kind of shows his worth as as a character in this movie in that scene yeah so as you kind of just hinted at one of their goals before atherton shows up is to catch one of these spiders so that they can study it to see if it has any resemblance i guess to the giant poisonous spider so they do catch a spider in Margaret's house, and there is this great scene where Collins kind of teaches Jeff Daniels to get over his fear. He's like, you've just got to move. You know, your body's telling you no, but you're going to be drawn towards this thing. Just move, which again kind of happens later. Atherton finally shows up. They bring him this specimen, and they realize that this one also doesn't have any reproductive organs, and it has like a similar kind of like poison sack layout i guess in the body so it must be related to this venezuelan spider and i think atherton is the one who points out that it's a cross between this poisonous spider and just like a common house spider so now the next big thing to do is find the venezuelan spider and the spider nest where all the other well, spiders hang on, are coming hang on from. hang on hang on we have skipped the entirety of john goodman's role up to this point yeah i know okay hold on john goodman <laughs> is first introduced john goodman of course one of the greatest actors who's ever lived he's absolutely hysterical he's incredibly talented he's a scene stealer in like everything he's in in this movie in my opinion not an exception but he is first introduced because Jeff Daniels thinks that they have termites because the wood in yes. the wine cellar isn't good. And he goes to examine that. And he concludes there's no termites. It's just bad wood. But there's, a, there's this great moment where he, he's speaking to the wife. Would anybody <laughs> object if I tore this floor out? I would. False alarm, then leave on. And then he, he comes back because he is the exterminator. So when they know it's a spider problem he's he's back he's like the town exterminator they call him yeah <laughs> but he sprays one of those spiders with like a bunch of stuff but they don't it doesn't react to it it, it doesn't die yeah. so he eventually just stomps on it and then as he's like walking off he's like all smug he's like oh yeah that's right i'm bad like just classic goodman <laughs> stuff and then later on he comes back he meets atherton and i and i love this scene atherton or I love this line, I should say, Atherton is this scientist who studies spiders and stuff, and J- John Goodman introduced himself, and he's like, always great to meet a colleague. Like, yeah, <laughs> just, this dude just kills bugs. He's not a colleague. Yeah, I love it. he plays a fine character. The, the only reason I've kind of skipped him, or the only reason I have skipped over him, 
He doesn't have a huge impact on the plot. That's true. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, like, all the house stuff, like, when he's in the wine cellar is funny. Like, I like when he shakes the bottle up, you know? When he's, yeah. like, holding the bottle, he just starts shaking it. And he goes, oh, yeah, well, I've got a, I've got a bottle of... Or a can of Bush Light from 1973 with a misprint on it. Your husband can come and see that. The, that was like, hilarious. Yeah, because you know? he's like, he's like, yeah, I collect, uh, I collect beer cans myself. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's looking at this guy who's got like a ten thousand dollar bottle of wine. Yeah. Or even, yeah. You know, there's even like a funny bit. I don't remember when it is, but. I guess it's when he realizes that his poison doesn't kill these spiders. He's like, well, luckily I've got my own private reserve. <laughs> and he just pulls out, like, this other poison from the back of his truck. He's got, like, a proton pack. He does, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly I, it. I don't know. Maybe exterminators actually have that stuff. I don't really know. I don't... He, he's a fun character. He just doesn't have much to do, even in the end, really. he just He's just kind of there. He is, he, he like, he's a great actor, and he does steal the show in any, in every scene that he's in in this movie. So all the main characters kind of split up into two groups. I believe it's Jennings, Collins, and uh, I almost wanted to call him Jeff Goldblum, John Goodman. They form a team because this Venezuelan spider got out of the casket at the morgue. They assume that the nest is at the morgue. So the three of them head over to the morgue where I guess the mortician and his wife also live. And uh, unfortunately, when they get there, they find that they've been killed. And I kind of like this scene because it shows that they were killed by their own gluttony. Uh, I think the spider's in like a bowl of popcorn that the mortician eats and that kills them. So w- while they're at the morgue, Dr. Atherton is passing by like a photograph somewhere. And he says, where was that photo taken? And the sheriff who's with him says, oh, that was taken by Dr. Jennings' wife at their at the barn on their property. And Atherton immediately realizes that that's the same web that the spider in his office has made. So they fly over to the barn where Atherton walks into the barn to, I guess, try to confront the spider. Like he's toying with it. He's, he's tapping his finger on like that little like live wire, you know, that signals spiders when something's in their web. And, and then it jumps down out of the rafters and just kills him. And by the time he dies, the rest of the characters have figured out that the nest is uh, is at Jennings' house. They decide to plot all the deaths on a map and realize that the center of all these deaths is Jennings' house and spiders kind of move outwards from the nest. So they rush over. They find, or John Goodman finds, that Jennings has been killed. Collins, Jennings, Jennings' wife, the kids, they're all in the house. And then it, it, the house just erupts into spiders. I, I don't know how to describe it other than that. Hundreds of thousands of these poisonous spiders start crawling all over the place. They're dropping down from the ceiling. Everybody crawls out the bathroom window onto the roof. Collins falls off the lattice onto the ground. Jennings is then trapped in the house. He falls off or over the banister, I guess, into the cellar, into, through the rotten floor into the cellar. The payoff for the uh, bad wood termite yes. infestation yeah. earlier in the movie. And he falls right through into the nest. So now his job is to kill this spider (laughs) and the nest. And it's kind of like a hectic last couple of scenes here. He's just fighting this spider. And at one point, Jennings himself knocks over all of these bottles of wine and this giant wine rack that's like, you know, eight feet tall or something. And it kind of pins him under all the wine. Because he hates spiders and because he really wants to kill this thing, he just starts throwing bottles of his expensive wine at this spider hoping to crush it. And there's like a funny scene where he picks up one bottle and he goes, no, no, not the Chateau. And then just grabs another bottle and whips it at the spider. I, I don't recall how, but eventually Jennings starts lighting things on fire. And I think it's like with a can of 
like 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 an aerosol can and a lighter or something. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. So he just starts like lighting his cellar on fire. This climactic battle with a spider is you know, with a backdrop of fire in this cellar is is kind of exciting to watch. Jennings succumbs to his fear of spiders, but at the last second, he remembers what Collins told him, and he moves and he catapults this spider off a piece of wood into this <laughs> into this pile of flames. That's wonderful. I really like how they did this. When you think it's over, the spider comes flying out on fire, leaving like a little trail of fire all over the cellar. And Jennings picks up like this nail gun thing that he was using earlier in the movie to test the the rotten wood. And just as the spider leaps in the air, he shoots it and pins it to the nest. And both the spider and the nest go up in flames. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the end of the movie. Uh, it, it ends. No, it's a, no, no, no. It, it ends on a hilarious. Well, joke. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It ends kind of abruptly. Like that's like that's the whole story in the town there in Kanaima. Sure. And then we see Jennings and his wife. They've moved back to San Francisco, and uh, they're enjoying some red wine. They're like, "Well, we're back now. Uh, you know, screw the country. I hate it." <laughs> And then they get like a big earthquake with some aftershocks, and uh, they'd rather deal with that than spiders. And that's it. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful joke to end the movie on. One of the yeah. funnier parts of the movie, I thought. <laughs> Which also, I want to point out in the end of that movie, they're talking about tremors. So you know, maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's oh, something the to my theory. <laughs> but that's it. That's arachnophobia. Patrick, my dear friend, what did you think of arachnophobia? I like arachnophobia. Based on your little intro here, it sounds like I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more than you did, even though I, I don't love it. For me, you know, you compared this to Tremors uh, as, as like a, you know, ants to a bug's life thing, and, it was, you know, we debated for a while. I think this is about as good as Tremors. I, I Maybe it should be noted I don't love Tremors the way some people do, but I do mm-hmm. like it. And to me, this is just about as good as Tremors. It's no poltergeist. It's yes. maybe a little bit worse than Gremlins, you know, as far as yeah. like that Spielberg horror, Spielberg produced horror goes. But the humor really worked in the second half. There wasn't much of it in the first half. The second half, I found it to be consistently funny. And a lot of that is because John Goodman's in more of the second half, I think. Yeah. There, there's, I just love the way he talks. There's like where they're trying to figure out where the nest is. Jeff Daniels like, it's it's in the barn, and and he's like, no, no, I, I don't, I don't know about that. They don't, uh, they don't usually like going in in places like barns. And then Jeff Daniels is like, listen, I saw the web in my barn. And then he just pauses and goes, a web would indicate an arachnoid infestation. Yes, like, it's just really funny, just how he talks. I love it. So I'm a huge John Goodman fan, and this movie got my Goodman fix in. No, I like it. It's it's a little, you know, the I like some of the small town stuff i think they could have done more with the small town had they not had the big 15 minute venezuelan opening because i i kind of liked the scenes when it was just like him dealing with this asshole of a you know old-fashioned doctor and stuff and and also i will say that jeff daniels plays an excellent everyman but he's like an everyman here with a little sarcastic edge to him and so i think that makes him kind of an enjoyable character so yeah i like the movie Jim, what about you? Well, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. Again, I don't like it as much as Tremors, to bring up Tremors again. To me, this is just one of those movies that was always playing on, like, cable around, like, 3 in the afternoon. You know what I mean? Like, it was just, like, (laughs) 
I, I like probably some... I never I never saw it on cable. I first time I ever saw it, I was living in Canada, so it wasn't that long ago. Oh, so really? This isn't a movie that I grew <laughs> up with by any means. Oh, uh, whenever I would see it, it was just always like on cable. It was like a three o'clock in the afternoon movie, you know, because like sure that that was like the dip for television right during the day. Now it's just any time of day. Yeah. <laughs> If, if it's it not is, yeah. on, like, HBO, it's, like, not worth watching for the most part. I All I watch is, like, Jeopardy, and I'll just be, like, looking, like, okay, Jeopardy's on in a half hour. Let me see what's on. Oh, fucking nothing. And Jeopardy's <laughs> over. Let, let me see what's on after Jeopardy. Oh, nothing. Literally nothing. Yeah, I feel you, man. This movie, though, I, I agree with you in that I wish it had kind there's, of... There's there's a Wheel of Fortune joke in this movie, by the way, uh, speaking of terrible television. Oh, is there? Where, um, <laughs> where, they're, where they're, they're, he's trying to call... Um, at, yeah, it must be his patient because he's trying to reach her on the phone. Or he's trying to reach someone on the phone and then some. he's like, ah, oh, they're not answering the phone. And then the, I think the sheriff is like, well, hang on, it's... Uh, it's Wheel of Fortune time. They always, they always unplug their phones during Wheel of Fortune oh, or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was for the mortician, wasn't it? <laughs> that's a good joke. Yeah, with this movie, though, I agree with you. I wish it had kind of opened up at Kanaima. I think that would have been a lot more interesting. It would have been interesting to kind of leave this spider as a mystery, at, you know, from some far-flung country. And also, a big part of that 15 minutes, that opening 15 minutes, again, however long it was... It's not just establishing the spider, it's establishing Atherton. And at the end of the day, Atherton doesn't mean anything. Yeah, he's He kind of the- unceremoniously gets killed, and then it's not really like, is he kind of the reason this all happened? Sort of, maybe. The movie doesn't really pay that off in any significant way. Like, yeah. he gets killed, yeah, so do a bunch of people, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and you're right, it spends a lot of time setting up two characters. It's, it sets up Manly and Atherton. And Manly gets killed at the end of that 15 minutes, and you're right, and Atherton isn't in it for the next hour, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's an odd kind of opening, though it does look beautiful, like all those opening shots of, of I assume, the Amazon. Yeah, I actually, um, a, a couple things to, to point out about that. First, something about my the DVD I rented here or something. I had to, it was like way too dark. I had to bump up the brightness on my computer screen, and then it looked beautiful. Like, it, it looked... I was like watching it. And I'm like, why is it kind of ugly? And then it's like, let me just adjust my brightness. Oh, it's not ugly. So I don't know what the, what you know what kind of DVD. This is not a great DVD or whatever. But and then also, it, you know, I mentioned obviously Spielberg's the producer. The director of this is Frank Marshall, who produced along with Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy a bunch of Spielberg's movies. I think they Frank Marshall I think produces like Back to the Future, like a lot of that stuff in the '80s. Oh, okay. I think this is his first movie as a director. I'm not 100% sure, but he definitely is trying to do a Spielberg thing, and I think for the most part it works. But he predates Spielberg in beauty shots of helicopters flying over the jungle. This feels like a trial run for Jurassic Park here in this opening. It almost does. I agree. It almost Yeah, we just need that like John that. Williams score, though. I mean, dun, I mean dun, 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 yeah, exactly. Dun, 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 dun. I was so taken by the scenery in that in that opening bit that I kind of wish that the rest of the movie was just set in Venezuela. But I kind of you... wish none of it was, though. <laughs> is, is my thing based on the rest of the movie? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, maybe I just wanted to see it because I think Venezuela is probably really beautiful because it looks neat. But it's just it is incongruous with the rest of the movie, though. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, and and going back to your point, if they had just opened the movie. 
with Kanaima and establish Jeff Daniels right off the bat, you yeah. know, Though and his I, family. Because we, did, we didn't get that much with his wife. We could have gotten more. No, but I do like the way that he's first brought into the movie. I like that whole spider falling into their yard. But yeah, I don't know. It, it This movie just doesn't hit for me. And if I'm honest, part of it's John Goodman. Oh, <laughs> I like him a lot. Right off. I like right him a off. lot, but like, there's something about the character. Like, especially, no, there's yeah. nothing about the character that's bad. <laughs> well, especially the bit when he's like, I like it when he stepped on the spider, but when he's like walking around, he's like, oh yeah, I'm bad. I'm like, that okay. was hilarious. It's because a dog's barking at him, and the dog yeah. is the only one who witnessed him do that badass thing. But the badass thing is he just stepped on a spider, <laughs> which is something we do on accident half the time. Yeah, I get it. I just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just not a big fan of John Goodman. I don't know. Oh I like God. him though. But yeah, arachnophobia. I don't know. Fine movie. Watch it. Don't watch it. Doesn't matter to me. It was an all right movie. But uh, let's move on to uh, <laughs> a rather embarrassing movie <laughs> for for one specific giant character. How about you take it away, Patrick? <laughs> Well, I gotta be honest, I don't know what you're talking about with that, but uh, the movie is <laughs> Mothra versus Godzilla. The year is 1964. <laughs> the director is Ishiro Honda, who directed, of course, the original Godzilla, as well as King Kong versus Godzilla. He he did not direct Godzilla Raids again. And, and of course, at some point, there was a Mothra movie. I suppose maybe we need yeah, to point like that out. Yeah, in like 62, I think. So, yeah, 61, 62 or something. I, listen, I, we did King Kong before we did King Kong versus Godzilla. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to dig up, you know, okay, we have to do every ro- movie Rodan is in before <laughs> Rodan appears in a Godzilla movie that we do in the series. I'm, I'm not, we're not, we can't keep doing that because we need to do Godzilla <laughs> movies, damn it. And well, okay, well, hold on. Can I, can, can we, can we backtrack to what I said first? Cause I, cause I have some questions for you before we really get into this. All right. What, what, what do we got? What do we got? So my first question is, Patrick, I'm not super familiar with the Godzilla franchise. I grew up watching the one with the guy who killed two people in Ireland, um, as star. Liam Neeson? No. <laughs> no. What's his name? I always forget his name. Cause he's such a nobody. Matthew Broderick. Thank you. That's the Godzilla I grew up with. Sure. But when I discovered that Godzilla is kind of like a, a loved and beloved character, I was like, oh, I'm going to watch some old Godzilla movies. And I did. And I was confused as to why Godzilla was the villain. Yeah, it, cha- it changed at a certain point. I mean, he's a villain early. I think uh, Invasion of the Astro Monster might be kind of the first hero Godzilla. Yeah, so my question was going to be, when does Godzilla become the hero? Because he's certainly not in this movie. And then here's my second question: Does Godzilla get more graceful as as we as we continue okay. with Godzilla movies, or does he continue to fall into castles no, this, this and get movie, his tail stuck in things? This movie is an anomaly. Godzilla is unusually clumsy in this movie, and I don't know why that is, but it's amazing. <laughs> I know it's like it just reminded me of what was it, King Kong yeah, versus Godzilla well, when he falls into the pit. Like everything he, fell, he was he, doing was ridiculous. <laughs> He fell into the pit in that room. But if you remember with King Kong versus Godzilla, King Kong, for the most part, was the goofy one. And oh, that was right, a conscious yeah. decision on the part of the filmmakers that they wanted to humanize Kong by making him kind of funny. 
This time, I'm not, I don't think the same thought process is going into Godzilla here. I think it's maybe it's because he's been underground for the past few years and he's just trying to get his footing back, literally. <laughs> but yeah, he falls over so many times in this movie. And it's always like, and they always like show close ups of his stupid rubbery feet. And it's just like, oops, I slipped. <laughs> Well, and it's funny, too, because most of the time he's falling over, or at least early in the movie. Godzilla doesn't show up until almost halfway through this movie, so I don't mean early in the movie, but early in his appearances. When he falls over, it's it's a, like it's funny because it's a guy in a rubber costume falling over, but he's not just falling over. He's falling over and knocking down, you know, a 100-year-old building or something, so there's like... <laughs> There's like a seriousness even in the silliness. Well, yeah. Well, you have the public running away from Godzilla because he's just unearthed himself. And as they're all running away, he's getting his tail stuck on like a telecommunications tower. And it, oh, he knocks it over and it falls on top of him. You yeah. Know? And then he again, and then he, he falls into, into that into giant pagoda and yeah. then out <laughs> yeah. of like anger, he tears it apart afterwards. Yeah. And it's just like, this is how embarrassing for this no. monster. No. This is wonderful. This oh, is okay. he's just he's just a he's just a big dumb animal. And I like it's great. <laughs> I like this new Godzilla suit and I like how has like rubbery jowls. Yeah, I <laughs> see that to me the this Godzilla looks a little bit different in every movie. Too much rubber on the jowls. He, yeah, he, <laughs> he, he shakes around a little. He's, he's got a little bit of the boss nass. He's he's got he's got a, a bit of Richard Nixon going on, you know. Sure, sure. <laughs> I don't know if he's that destructive, but. <laughs> All right, so we got to get into this movie. But I, but I was going to say the film also stars, and I'm pointing this out because he passed away recently. Oh, no. Um, Akira Takarada died March 14th, 2022. He's the star of this movie. He plays Ichiro Sakai. And by the way, I'll be pronouncing virtually all these names wrong, I'm sure. But I'll, I'm doing my best. So I heard when he passed away and people were like, I saw some people were upset. It's like, oh, yeah, he's in a bunch of Godzilla movies. My first thought was, oh, he was in the Godzilla suit. Because I have never really paid that much attention to g- actors in Godzilla films. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have known they repeat actors a lot, and but I think in many cases they do. And um, Akira Takarada is the uh, he's the main guy in the original Godzilla. He's um, goodness, I don't remember his name in that movie, but he's the one. He's not he's not the guy with the eye patch. He's like the main character he's like uh oh, he, he, he's like he's like the love interest of that of that woman. yeah yeah the professor's daughter yeah he's 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 kind of he, i guess you could say he's the main character in that movie yeah uh he was not in either godzilla raids again or king kong versus godzilla so i guess i will have to keep an eye on him in the future in future movies in which he appears because i assume it's more than just two i wouldn't have necessarily recognized him it's just like i, I at this point I'm, i recognize the name it looks innocent as a gigantic egg, but its unseen powers are so great that its worshippers beg the thing's indulgence in self-abasing ceremonies. So the movie begins with a big typhoon taking out an entire coastline of whatever part of Japan this is. The model work here is fantastic. No, the it's miniature not. Stuff. I mean, it's, listen, they, they do their best, but... Well, you got things blowing away. Anyways, that's I liked it. What I do think they do a good job of, they make the water look dirty. That's good. That that really makes it feel less like a bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) So, reporter Ichiro, Akira Takarada, as I mentioned, and 
Photographer Junko show up to survey this damage at this coastline. Junko is, she basically has no idea what she's doing. She's like brand new. This is, I guess, like maybe her first assignment. But they find a strange object floating amidst the destruction. But then also, more importantly, there is a giant egg (laughs) at sea just, (laughs) just off the coast. And that eventually washes ashore and... Professor Miura comes in from one of the universities and he's studying the egg and he's talking to these other two characters, Ichiro and Junko. They're trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? Is this dangerous? What's going on? And then in steps Mr. Kumayama, who is a character who in 1964 made the bold decision to go with the Hitler mustache. <laughs> and, I was about um, to say, yes. <laughs> I mean, we have to point that out. And I don't know if that's like, because he's a bad guy, if that's like a sly nod. I don't know. <laughs> if, if, if you know i mean japan works a sly with, nod with with germany obviously but like i don't know I, i'm not sure if that's if we're supposed to be kind of thinking of hitler when we look at him but that's like i, can't I like the idea that he shows it. up on screen with his little mustache and he turns to the, the directly at the camera and winks you know like i'm a bad guy wink wink but yeah so this guy has purchased the egg and everyone's like wait a second you can't just buy this like yeah, it just floated in from the ocean. What are you talking about? Who does he buy it from? We don't really know. It doesn't really matter. But the point is that this asshole capitalist guy is going to do something. We don't quite know what yet. So at this point, Ichiro, Junko, and Professor Miura want to stop him. But they also acknowledge that, like, oh, we can't just go to the government because they, they don't respond quick enough. <laughs> Classic governments. At least in some of the Godzilla movies, there is a bit of social commentary about the, gov- the Japanese government. I Maybe a little bit here, definitely in Shin Godzilla, and maybe in the original. Maybe that's it. I don't know. You can already kind of see. there. There's definitely commentary in this film about the nuclear weapons and stuff. But as you can probably imagine, we're moving closer and closer to schlock within the Godzilla series. So we're going to lose that you know, sooner rather than later. But <laughs> there's still a little bit. There's remnants of it here. So they discover that Kumayama isn't independently doing this. He's actually working with someone else, and it's this guy, Jiro Torahara. Yeah, he's working with with that guy. This is Happy Enterprises, of course, is the name of the company. And the plan is to build an amusement park around the egg. Now, what exactly does that look like? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But but, and, And early on, Kumayama does say, like, when... Our heroes are talking to him like, oh, this egg is way more valuable to science than it is to you. And he's like, well, don't worry. We'll let everyone watch the, in- the watch the incubation, but they have to pay a fee. And it's like, okay, so he's doing profit off it. And I guess they're doing an amusement park. Why not? This is kind of like a Jurassic Park reference. <laughs> Long before Jurassic Park. There's also in, want to say it's Godzilla versus Gigan. There's an, a Godzilla themed amusement park. Uh, at that point godzilla is the hero so that makes a lot more sense than if they were to build an amusement park for the guy now so as kumeyama and torahara are in their office they discover the twin fairies which they have some kind of i don't think it's said in the movie but they have some kind of like japanese name referring to what they are and i'm just not gonna bother because i don't know how the hell to say that yeah i'm looking at it Um, as well and i'm not gonna bother either yeah they're the (laughs) they're the fairies they're the twin fairies whatever these are these are these little pocket-sized women who speak in high-pitched voices and 
are tied to Mothra. They are servants of Mothra. They are extensions of Mothra. You know, it's, I think the, this movie itself kind of leaves some of that up to interpretation. But yeah. they're playing with these businessmen. They say, hey, give us back our the egg. It's our egg. And they evade capture. Uh, the, <laughs> this movie does a good job of when it cuts to the actresses running around, they do like a good job of having like giant couch sets and stuff. They do a little bit of that. Yeah. Most of the time when they show these women, it's kind of awkwardly... Like green screened um, or something. Or yeah. Whatever. Like, it's not always great, but the, these scenes in the office were great. But they eventually escape, and they meet with Ichiro, Junko, and Miura, and explain what their whole deal is. They're like, hey, we're from this other island that's had nuclear testing. The egg washed ashore because there was a big... Because the storm sent it flying or whatever, you know what I mean? It, a rock slide, right? Is yeah, yeah. It, it was like the storm was pounding the coast of this infant island, and the egg was dislodged from its underground space. And they're like, okay, but what's what's Mothra? Who is this? And she's like, oh, she's right over there. And then they see Mothra, <laughs> and Mothra's just chilling there. I like that reveal, actually. And Oh, yeah, it's great. And I love the, the we, right away we established Mothra just kind of lazily flaps her wings and you see the, the the effect that it has on the wind with our characters so you can kind of imagine okay when she's actually flying that this could be a destructive force potentially yeah and i also i love the look of mothra i don't know what it is maybe it's like all the color yeah very colorful very fuzzy also yeah <laughs> yeah you, you know i feel like each iteration of mothra and, and I'm, I'm assuming this is... I know I've seen the original Mothra movie. I don't remember it well. I actually... There was something that I thought was in this movie, and it wasn't in this movie, so I assume that's actually from that movie, but there's a scene where the fairies are like... I don't know if they're held captive, but they're like f- performing at like a music hall or something. And oh. it's like, okay, I guess that's that must be in the original Mothra, because it's not in this. Huh. But yeah, each each iteration of Mothra seems to go slightly more bug-like because Mothra, not that bug-like in this one, really. It's just, you know, big, it, fluffy it, kind of it thing. It looks but like a beanie baby in this movie. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, so the fairies explain that when the egg hatches, it's going to be another Mothra, and the Mothra larva will naturally know to go back to infant island but in between now and then it's also going to be scared and it's going to end up just causing a bunch of destruction because it doesn't know what the hell is going on the fairies need the help of these three people in order to get the egg back our three heroes meet with the two businessmen they bring the fairies as as like proof of mothra but it doesn't work and then in a total dick move kumiyama tries to buy the fairies yeah because he wants to even profit off of them these independent lives like right these um it's a pretty scuzzy thing to do i mean because they sit down and they're like this is mothra's egg mothra would like the egg they want the egg back on this island they're asking you please you've bought this egg it's not your egg and he goes hey okay i get it that's all great but can i buy these women you know, it establishes that Kumiyama, like, he's basically never run into a problem that he can't buy his way out of, which eventually comes comes true with the bad press that Ichiro supplies, because yes. he, he basically is able to just launch his own PR campaign against that stuff. But at the same time, what we eventually learn, or maybe we've already even kind of learned, is that Kumiyama's not really the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So eventually Kumiyama is confronted by the people of this island who say that I guess I guess this is who he's bought the egg from I guess because they want their money now he said no our agreement was I would give you the money when the egg hatched but but now I guess at this point they're having second thoughts because they think all the bad press is going to just you know he's not going to have any money to deal with yeah Kumiyama ends up taking out a loan from his financier uh Torahara but he's forced to put the egg up as collateral which I'm not 100% sure what that means when they first establish it, but <laughs> then... So the egg at this point is like in a big giant greenhouse, basically. Yeah. And he starts heating it to speed up the incubation and hopefully have the egg be born or whatever is inside of it be born. And so, meanwhile, Professor Miura... And this, this is a little strange because this, like, it feels like... It was so long since we even bothered with this, but remember that foreign object that we discovered in the wreckage? Well, apparently that was important because it was radioactive or irradiated or whatever. Yeah, and which, by the way, it wasn't until this scene that I realized what that object was. What was it, a nipple? No, Kinda isn't it? Kind of like a giant nipple. <laughs> no, isn't it like, like a piece of Godzilla's scale? That would make sense, but it's just a, I don't know. It's like a weird blue, gray-blue blob thing. Yeah, it's like multicolored. But I was like, you know, Godzilla does that lightning thing, you know. I, it's Or the, the, yeah. the not the lightning thing, the Atomic fire thing. Atomic breath. Yeah, yeah, and he turns kind of bluey. I was like, that looks like it could be a Godzilla scale. Maybe, yeah. It's, it's something Godzilla-related, I guess. But yeah, Atomic. remember how Godzilla's in this movie? It's <laughs> finally about to come true. Professor Miura discovers that that's, this object is irradiated, so he and Ichiro and Junko head to the area where they found it, which is now no longer underwater, and it's basically like a, almost looks like a desert. It's just a bunch of dirt. <laughs> yeah. And basically right when they get there, Godzilla emerges from the ground, and he wanders his clumsy ass around town. <laughs> Um, he gets his tail stuck in, as you mentioned, a big, like, radio tower, and then when he finally gets it free, the the radio tower falls on top of him, and he falls over. He does a lot of tripping. Like, like, it's so embarrassing for Godzilla. It's wonderful. It's beautiful stuff. (laughs) It really is. I like it a lot. (laughs) And I wonder how much of it, I mean, some of it very clearly is planned, because... You know, when he trips into that pagoda and then he tears it apart. Like, okay, obviously that model was built to be taken apart. Yeah. But maybe the Godzilla series as a whole, but definitely this movie in particular, they're not afraid to keep mistakes in the movie because there's a famous scene later on where where the Godzilla head catches fire. It's very clearly a mistake, but they leave it in because it looks awesome. Exactly, yeah. And well, it's it's very clearly a mistake that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> the, the, the guy in the, in the Godzilla suit was probably, either he didn't know what was happening because maybe you can't even tell, or he was <laughs> scared out of his fucking mind, but it's beautiful. Going back to Godzilla slipping into that beautiful Japanese castle, it looks almost like Himeji Castle or something. But anyways, there's like a close-up of his foot, mm-hmm. and you see him like slide down this embankment and then just slide into the castle. And you're like, okay, but how much, like why? 
Why did we need a scene of Godzilla clumsily falling into a castle? Why the need for so much gruesome graphic violence? Why not let us imagine Because it's so it? much fun, Jan! Get it! Like, is, is that is that what it was for, though? Or was it? Or was he supposed to crush part of it and then tear it apart, but instead the actor, like, accidentally fell into the castle? It's a good question. I think because we get that close-up, I think he is... It's very clearly like a trip and then a, a, a compensating for falling, uh, getting mad at this thing because I fell into it. But <laughs> Godzilla's a dick. <laughs> well, no, I do think this movie in particular, compared to the other Godzilla movies that we've had so far, I don't know if their plan at this point is to make Godzilla a hero in the future movies, but I can almost imagine that going into the thought process of a little bit of this because Godzilla's destruction here, for the most part, he's not just destroying to destroy. He's destroying mostly out of clumsiness in this movie. Yeah. And if if that's maybe the first step in kind of making him a hero that, you know, I, I, again, I don't know if that's the thought process here, but, you know, in, in the original 1954 Godzilla, he's just breaking everything in his path. He's taking out bridges, planes, buildings, all this stuff. This this movie is just like, oh, it's a, it's a few things that he kind of bumps into. Yeah, and you know, it's 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 a it's a different kind of destruction. You make a really good point because I didn't really think of that while while I was watching this. I didn't either. I just thought of that now. Wow, you're so brilliant. (laughs) I know. You're totally right. This might be the Godzilla movies that we've seen the least amount of like city destruction. Godzilla's never had a problem taking out military. Okay, you know that that's going to happen, and he does he does an awful lot of that in this movie, but. Not as much random building destruction. Not, not as many innocent civilians get killed in this movie as in mo- most other early Godzilla movies, I guess. No, and, and even like the characters, they go into it with kind of a plan that they've carried out a million times before, or at least four times before, or three, I guess, where they're like, okay, let's keep Godzilla away from the cities. Let's use the military to push him kind of towards the coast. Oh, let's mm-hmm. use this trick with uh, with giant electrified telephone pole things well you, you see you see how well the evacuation works with the exception of that one school teacher and her 10 children there like everyone else gets the memo and is able to get out safely right <laughs> yeah, yeah except for that poor lady yeah well i guess she was on an island that didn't have speakers i don't know what she was doing there but, um <laughs> i get the impression that was like a field trip i don't think her school was on that island no <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't that be an unfortunate field trip? What high school do you go to? I go to Alcatraz. (laughs) So with Godzilla active, we see a lot of shots of, I think more than in the other films, of real life locations and people running around and then Godzilla in the background. It's not a perfect effect, but I like that they mix in, they integrate that real life with the Godzilla. Yeah. You know, we still get, whenever he tears something down, it's a model, obviously. But we do get a lot of shots of Godzilla slowly walking in the background there. And that's because we can show real life panic, real life locations in the foreground. It's nice. It mixes it up a bit. Yeah. And, and you can see that they're using this new technology to kind of make it look more realistic whereas with the older Godzilla movies the models were really good but also they were shooting it in black and white which helped a lot for the yeah. for the 
realism. Black and white and night specifically. Because when we yeah. see Godzilla in the day in that movie, he doesn't look amazing. No. At night, he looks like perfect. And it's all during the day. There's not a single night shot of Godzilla in this movie, I don't think, is there? I think there's a bit where he's fighting some fighter planes that's kind of at night or like dusk or something. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. It kind of gets darker and then it gets lighter when he gets back to fighting the larvae. Yeah. I don't know, does Ed Wood direct this movie? Or, you know, <laughs> I... oh. But it, it is interesting. And I have a question for you now that this has come up. There are a lot of goofy things about this Godzilla movie, namely the costume. But do you think... I'm watching this movie thinking like, uh, I'm enjoying it, but... What I'm getting out of it is some chuckles while I'm watching this interesting movie from the 60s. You know, I'm like, oh, this is mm-hmm. kind of funny to watch because it's kind of goofy, but it's not the fault of the movie. It's it's the fault of the limitations of technology and of and of the of the, of the time and then of it maybe even you could say uh, being a Japanese post-war economy movie. This isn't a big budget American modern film. Yeah. I feel like if this movie had been in black and white and mostly at night, much like the first movie, it would have mm-hmm. come across as a lot less goofy and more serious. What do you think? I think that's probably true. I also think, and we'll get into this when we kind of get into the Mothra lore, but I also think Mothra's very existence needs a certain level of fantasy, of goofiness. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm using fantasy and goofiness. I don't mean that they're interchangeable, but I think, you know, Godzilla can be a, if you want him to be, Godzilla can be this hyper-realistic, serious, sci-fi symbol of nuclear holocaust. Mm -hmm. Mothra is out of a fantasy movie, and you can't mix those two in a hyper-realistic, hyper-serious movie, I should say. At least I don't think you can. I'm yet to see anyone you know if, if that's ever pulled off i don't know yeah but what's weird about this movie is that mothra is the kind of what's the word i'm looking hero? for well yeah mothra's the hero but mothra is juxtaposed to godzilla as the kind of hero of 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 a nuclear holocaust this this heroic byproduct of a nuclear holocaust almost you know mothra comes from this devastated island that was had like nuclear tests tested on it i guess and much like this kind of nuclear angel this big giant multicolored winged angel mothra swoops in to try to save the day from this other hellish actual <laughs> nuclear holocaust creature spreading fire and and some destruction in this movie was there a question there well no i'm, I'm just saying it, it, it's kind of it's kind of weird because cause you were saying that, like, Mothra is this kind of silly character. I understand what you're saying. and we're, This is, like, the next scene we're going to talk about anyways when okay, we yeah. go to Infant Island. Yeah, so it's actually on the suggestion of the goofy comic relief character that they go ask Mothra for help. Out of desperation, they go, they being... Ichiro Junko and Professor Miura go to Infant Island to plead with the fairies and the people to ask for Mothra's help. You can see a, a strong King Kong influence once they arrive there, that this mm-hmm. is kind of their version of these weird native Skull Island people, right? They're, they're yeah. even like demons and witchcraft and all that stuff. They make them drink 
something that red liquid cleanses their yeah cleanses their bodies of evil spirits or whatever so these are a, a mystic people but when they first arrived there they also comment on how you know this island probably used to be all lush and beautiful and it's just you know devastated by the there was like one nuclear test i guess in the area and that's what caused that but there's also a giant turtle in the background yeah. in that scene where they're which is adorable it's just hanging out there they don't acknowledge it but it's just just like hanging out it's i love that i love that thing yeah I it keeps on bobbing it its hug. head and i'm like is this yeah supposed to yeah be doing he that, looks, or? <laughs> yeah it's, he's having a great time that that guy in that costume but so the people the villagers the islanders whatever you want to call them say that no we will not help the people of Japan, the people of Japan tested this nuclear weapon on us and destroyed our lifestyle. Like, why should we bother helping you? But then they overhear the twin fairies singing and they follow them into like this cave, which is, which takes them to this lush oasis, which the fairies say that this is what's sustaining the island. This is for whatever reason, the one part of the island that has been untouched by nuclear devastation. The fairies also don't want Mothra to help until Junko, of all people, makes a nice little speech about how there are good people and there are bad people, but even the bad ones don't necessarily deserve to die. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is our only hope. Can you please help us? That That's the speech that kind of works in their favor. And I like that because previously Junko is kind of a little goofball. Like, she doesn't really know what she's doing as a photographer and... So I like that she gets that moment. She gets something to do that isn't just a little silly. But So the fairies go to sing to Mothra, and they they tell them that, yes, Mothra will help with whatever strength she has left. And they're like, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, she's going to die soon. This this is an old yeller situation here. (laughs) You got to go put the Mothra down. So... Our three heroes go back to, again, whatever place where this Mothra egg is being kept. This is also the scene where we get the two businessmen confronting each other in their in the hotel room. Kumeyama is upset because he's been ripped off now. He starts beating Torahata. He beats the shit out of him. There's blood coming out of his mouth and everything. And then he's about to steal all the money when Torahata grabs the gun and shoots him just as Godzilla is approaching the hotel. And so... Torahata is killed as he's trying to flee from the hotel with all of his money and when Godzilla of course knocks it over so this is like this is like the real big incident of destruction that isn't kind of accidental Godzilla destruction I guess you could still say it's accidental but like it's not goofy like he fell into something (laughs) destruction (laughs) yeah he kind of just rocks up to the hotel and knocks it over it's the villain that gets killed I mean I mean I'm sure there's dozens of other people if not hundreds but like we do see the villain die so it's like okay that's fine godzilla gets to the amusement park or the amusement park under construction and starts breaking the giant greenery the egg is still not hatched at this point (laughs) yeah and then mothra shows up and you know mothra is flying this giant is is it a moth i mean i know the name mothra but like it's more butterfly than moth, really. For, for Though I will, I will tell you. You know how you can tell it is a moth, and you can. No, I don't. When one of these critters lands, if its wings are up, like off the ground, it's a butterfly. 
if its wings are spread out and flat, it's a moth. So when Mothra is like sitting on rocks and shit. So Mothra's Mothra's um, manspread is yeah. what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. The fight, the initial fight between Mothra and Godzilla. A lot of flap in the wings, which creates the wind that kind of keeps Godzilla at a distance. Godzilla unable to land his atomic breath on Mothra, unable to get a clean shot. But, but Godzilla eventually gets back to the egg, which is kind of rolled around at this point. And as he's about to destroy the egg, Mothra picks him up by the tail. Not really up, but picks up the tail and drags him away. And this is wonderful. Oh yeah, it looks great. We get the close-ups of the guy in the Godzilla costume just <laughs> sliding across the ground. It looks <laughs> wonderful. Uh, it's really, really fun. How did they do the Mothra thing? Like, how did they... Was it somebody in a like was there like some was, was there somebody in a costume involved or was it just like a, a giant stuffed animal that they hung from the ceiling yeah i, I think it's got to be the latter i know you can see strings here and there and but i also think this some of this stuff in particular with mothra dragging godzilla i think some of it might be shot in reverse because some of it just looks a little funky to me oh, at, at one okay. point or another and it's like okay so maybe godzilla is crawling and they're, they're shooting it in reverse and maybe speeding it up or something. But, you know, if you think about it, like, not the easiest monster to make work in, in a movie involving costume monsters, right? No, yeah. So credit the ambition of the people behind not just this movie, but the original 1961 Mothra, maybe the 1955 Rodan, because Rodan also flies. Mothra eventually gets Godzilla into, like, this pit and is just shooting all this... Um, toxic yellow stuff all over him yeah like toxic pollen or something and it looks like mothra's winning like mothra is like oh my god is it over but then godzilla finally is able to land some of his atomic breath hit hits mothra's wing and mothra just kind of glides away with like smoke coming off her wing and goes and dies next to her egg very very heart-wrenching scene like it really is and that whole scene where mothra is fighting godzilla with the toxic mist pollen stuff is great because godzilla's like writhing around shooting his uh his atomic breath all over the place it just looks really good i don't know how to describe it other than that it's like a really cool looking yeah i like that, that stuff off the stuff that i didn't really like was before godzilla gets thrown or gets kind of before he kind of stumbles into the pit when Mothra's just kind of like scratching at his head and stuff, that stuff is like yeah. really, it's just a lot of quick cutting and it just doesn't look very good. But yeah. as long as there's some distance between the monsters, it looks awesome. And also too, when when you said that, you know, Mothra's death is kind of heart-wrenching, it really is because Mothra glides over to this egg and lands on this rock and one of Mothra's wings is draped over this egg. And Mothra just dies right there. Right. And so at this point, Godzilla seems to have lost interest in the egg, so he just goes walking around, and this is when the military <laughs> makes its move, and they have a plan to electrocute him. Which is like the plan in every movie, and it fails yeah, every time. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't work too well. It works a little bit. Godzilla's head starts on fire. I, I think that's after a plane shoots him, though. But yeah, they've got planes shooting at him. They're electrocuting him from all these big towers, Eventually, they have all these helicopters drop nets on him, and this is where it actually starts to work. There's he, Godzilla's covered with like four or five nets. They're continuing to electrocute him. And then the general is like, "Hey, 
boost up the voltage and they're like oh but it's already at its limit it's like i don't care blast that thing and then this they do and then the generators fail so godzilla is able to regain control and he takes out all the tanks and planes and all that stuff and then he makes his way back no he doesn't go back to the egg he he goes to another island he he like walks through town and then is on his way to the island where the teacher is and this kind of comes out of nowhere there's one guy scrambling to get on a plane uh, not on a plane on a ship as everyone's evacuating and he's like no miss whoever this teacher is over on that island with 10 school children or something and they're like oh well that sucks but we can't we can't really do anything about that now <laughs> oops <laughs> yeah it kind of comes out of nowhere and then it's like what is what kind of field trip was this but so Godzilla's heading to that island. Why is he actually is he actively hunting this teacher? <laughs> but at this point, the egg has the Mothra egg has started to hatch and out come two larvae. So it's twin Mothras. It's suggested in this movie or the possibility is at least raised that that Mothra doesn't really die so much as transfer consciousness into mm-hmm. the egg. You know, because Mothra's this big, fantastical, mystical being. At any rate, we got two Mothras. They make their way over to the island where Godzilla is heading and where those teachers are, or the teacher and the students are. Then so our heroes agree to get on the ship, and they're like, okay, we will go find these kids, save them while these larvae distract Godzilla. They end up doing more than just distracting him. At first, one of them bites down on his tail, and basically just pushes him into a frenzy where his tail is going around that is really cool shots of of the mothra larva on just stuck on his tail as his tail is going up and down and stuff and you know that's something they do well in this it's like all the movements with godzilla's tail yeah like it looks like an actual animal tail or when it gets stuck in things yeah yeah (laughs) wonderful stuff then he's basically about to kill this larva when he finally gets it off his tail but then the other larva starts shooting like a web on him or something yeah it's like it's like like silk or something i don't know yeah it's like silk are the moths known for this i don't know <laughs> i i've you know let's call that a entomologist from um arachnophobia he might know eventually it's both these larvae just shooting all their silk all over godzilla and it creates like this looks like a big thing of cheesecloth over him basically but we see the progression because it gets more and more each time for a while he's able to at least keep his face largely free because he keeps breathing his atomic breath and like poking holes in it but eventually it gets too much for him and this is of course our heroes save the children and the teacher and then at this point godzilla is completely overcome by this he's completely enveloped within this net everything but his feet are free and like he does so many other times throughout this movie he falls over and this time he falls into the sea where perhaps he will never be seen again we will have to wait perhaps at least until later this year the same fucking year yeah, they did, uh, <laughs> yeah december Ghidorah, of the year. 300 <laughs> the, the three-headed <laughs> monster so yeah he wasn't dead for long but then the Mothras head back to Infant Island, and our characters in the kind of the trademark slap together Godzilla social message at the end of the movie are like, oh, we're just watching them leave. We're not even going to thank them. And then Akira Takarada is like, 
the best way we can thank them is to make this world a better place or something. And then <laughs> Professor Miura is like, that's right, a world built on mutual trust. <laughs> and that is the end of Mothra versus Godzilla. Jim, what did you think? I liked this movie a lot, actually. I liked again how goofy it was. I liked all the I liked the colorful Mothra. I liked oh, yeah. the ugly larvae. Yeah, they look kind of like turds. That's exactly what they looked like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody pinched a loaf. Yeah, it was just like a fun movie. The thing I was kind of taken aback by was how, like, the first half of the movie was really about the human characters. Yeah. In a movie called Mothra vs. Godzilla, the, again, okay. like, the, like, the first half was all about the people. And I'm like, nah, I don't care. <laughs> show me show me these two giant monsters fighting, you know? It was kind okay. of the same thing as, like, King Kong versus Godzilla, but that was really exciting. That was worth the wait. All right, well, you know what? I mean, any giant monster movie is going to have to just kind of go through the motions of human characters, right? Freddy versus Jason yeah. does it. Like, things. that's what movies do, right? I think this movie does a good job of that. As far as all the Godzilla movies, this, to me, makes a com- gives a compelling human story, or, or a story with the human characters, I should say. And it involves Mothra, obviously. It doesn't really involve Godzilla for a long time, which I'm fine with. Yeah, but it's, you know the 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 twin fairies and this evil fucking businessman with the Hitler mustache doing <laughs> his thing. I love it. I find that stuff really interesting. I think Kumeyama is an awesome villain. At least, really, just for the first half of the movie. Then after a while, he kind of sort of off screen gets in a fight with his business partner, and then next time we see him, he's like literally fighting him and just trying to steal money and it's like okay this character's not that interesting anymore but yeah exactly yeah and i mean because when you first meet him he, he almost but by that seems... point godzilla's going around so i don't i don't need that in many interesting characters the interesting characters are there in the first half before we get the monsters i think it's a perfect balance of that yeah i mean i agree like i i wasn't i wasn't i guess by the end of the movie i didn't care about but the fact that half the movie was was devoted to the people characters of the movie i liked it was there that much people stuff in King Kong versus Godzilla? Or there's probably more. In well, King Kong, King Kong versus, Godzilla. versus Godzilla too. If we're comparing these two, like King Kong versus Godzilla is schlock. This movie rides the line a bit, but to me, it's not schlock. Mm-hmm. King Kong versus Godzilla is like a a glimpse of what's to come in the series in like the seventies. I don't think this movie is there. And no, I think this no. movie has the ability to create an interesting character or two and ability to make Godzilla still a threatening villain to a certain extent. I mean, yeah, he's clumsy as hell in this movie, but that's whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. the only thing I, I wasn't really jiving with was the twin fairies. It felt kind of shoehorned in. I don't know, like... But, but again, that's not my culture. I'm not Japanese. Maybe there's some meaning to it that I'm not picking up on. Well, I want to I want to talk about that because I I kind of m- said we were going to talk about that, and then I guess we didn't end up really. But what I like about this movie, what I like, I guess, about Mothra as a um, as a foil to Godzilla, for lack of a better term, Godzilla is this scientific creation. Mothra is maybe a scientific creation. I'm not 100% sure because I don't really remember the 1961 Mothra too well. I know the fairies are in that, though. Again, I remembered a fairy scene that wasn't in this movie, so it must be in that one. <laughs> um, but these 
it's it's mysticism versus science, but it's also like, I mean, in future movies, I'm thinking of the American, the most recent American movie that had Mothra in it. Mothra is basically there to provide kind of balance to the world, and mm-hmm. in and in that case, to fight Ghidorah and Rodan. In this case, you know, she reluctantly agrees to fight Godzilla. But really, it's 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 less about like order, and and to me, it's just that that kind of interesting science versus mysticism angle. Like you see the people at Infant Island. Th- that is a fantastical way of life. You know that this is something that there's traces of this in King Kong versus Godzilla. But at the end of the day, King Kong, despite being a large ape, is not that fantastical. Like, he's not born of science, we know that, but yeah, he's not, you know, he's kind of worshipped as a god, sort of, by these people that are afraid of him, but there's not, he doesn't have twin fairies going around, and twin mystical fairies who are able to evade capture by, like, disappearing and reappearing, and who can also read minds. Like, that, that fantasy element is such a big part of Mothra, and I think that's really interesting to pair these two monsters against each other because they are so different not only does one walk and let's be honest stumble and the other one flies <laughs> but there's just there's just so different i like that i think that really works i don't know if this has come up in this podcast before it's definitely come up between you and me i hate fantasy i just do it's just not my thing i can guarantee you this has come up multiple times in the podcast <laughs> okay but to me, I, I like I don't like that fantasy stuff. Maybe I wouldn't like Mothra by herself that much, but Mothra in opposition to something that isn't fantastical, I think, is interesting. I just looked it up, and before I tell you my findings, I'm going to explain what my point of view on this was. I thought it was interesting that you had like a hellish, destructive monster that was created by science, and then you had a monster that was also created by science, but it was this heroic monster that was literally quite literally swooping in to attempt to save the day anyways and i thought it was neat that you had these two monsters that were both created by by science battling it out but one was bad and only cared about destruction and this other one was worshipped as like a deity and was kind of like a symbol for what happens to life when it's severely irradiated by a nuclear explosion or something. You know, like Mothra's dying, this island is essentially dead. I, I, I just thought that that was like a whole kind of neat point of view. But as you were talking there, I just looked it up, and the original Mothra movie, which you were right originally, 1961, I said 62, Mothra is an island deity to the peoples of Infant Island that has just always existed. I don't think it okay. was it was created by the, the nuclear explosion. Yeah, I was going to say, in this, this movie, obviously the island has been affected by nuclear, but I don't. they don't necessarily imply that Mothra is giant because of that. I think you might kind of assume that just like, oh, yeah, because that's yeah. how Godzilla was born. But yeah, I don't think and, 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 really and that's why that. I assumed that. That's exactly why. But... Yeah, I'm just reading this. The team discovers a vast jungle of mutated flora, a fleeing native tribe, and two young women only 12 inches tall. So yeah, so Mothra is just an existence. It it is this fantasy thing. And now that I understand that, I really like what you were saying about it and and your whole point of view on that. I agree with you. Any any other thoughts on Mothra vs. Godzilla? You like the goofiness? Yeah, of I, the I'm, Godzilla I'm, falling. I'm really, 
I'm really excited to get into other Godzilla movies that just get the, like the pure schlocky. schlock. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's it's still it's still a few years. You know, Ghidorah versus or Ghidorah the Three Headed Monster probably tonally in line with this. Invasion of the Astro Monster maybe a bit goofier because it's just very high sci-fi, and then Ebera sucks. And then, but then once we get Godzilla's son, then it's you know no turning back from schlock. Well, I'm still amazed at how different this movie is to the first Godzilla movie tonally. Yeah. You know, and even like the James Bond series hasn't gone through that big of like a tonal shift. James Bond has always been kind of tongue in cheek and sure you had like pervy old man Roger Moore and the height of like stupid, awful jokes and stuff in that Roger Moore era. But that was still kind of in line with Bond, whereas these two movies... Compared to the original Godzilla, this is kind of like a schlock movie, a, a, a kaiju smashable. But you know, but at the same time, it's a lot closer to the original Godzilla movie than King Kong versus Godzilla was. Oh, yeah, one hundred percent. I agree with you on that. They don't transport <laughs> any a giant monster by balloon in this in this movie, <laughs> and then drop them hard onto the ground. <laughs> there's no there's no monster that gets drunk and passes out after drinking a bunch of berry juice in this movie. <laughs> yeah, you're very right about that. Very, very right. So Jim, which of these two movies, Arachnophobia or Mothra versus Godzilla, do you prefer? Mothra versus Godzilla. Uh and I think it's obvious why I prefer it. I'm just I'm in awe of a stumbling Godzilla and a and a multicolored Mothra. <laughs> and I like the story too, but how about you, Patrick? Yeah, I, I think I although I didn't enjoy Arachnophobia, I love Godzilla as a character, as a creature, as a franchise. Mothra vs. Godzilla, I don't think I praised it enough. This is a top five Godzilla movie. I would probably say top three. This to me is almost as good as Godzilla gets even though it is very different from the original. And the original is literally as good as Godzilla gets, but this is <laughs> something different from that, but it's still very good. Uh, so yes, I prefer Godzilla to arachnophobia. Now, Jim. Yes. How do you think this stacks up as a drive-in double feature? Well, I think it would be almost a perfect drive-in double feature, if I'm honest, if Mothra versus Godzilla came first. Okay, explain. For me, it's that kind of like Mothra versus Godzilla is is goofy because of the effects that they're using, even when they're not trying to be goofy, but it just come, it kind of comes across as that goofiness. You yeah. have this giant lizard monster stumbling into things, and uh, you just have like this movie where these two little fairy women exist in it. You know, it's just like a weird kind of offbeat, goofy movie, and it's this Japanese kaiju smash him up like i said you know but it's a great kind of monster movie in that sense because you get these cool monsters that are the stars of the film and then you go to arachnophobia which is also goofy sometimes doesn't make sense uh there's lots of goofy silly characters and frankly the idea of killer spiders is also kind of goofy like especially killer small like normal sized spiders is kind of yeah, too, so there's, a, there's a silliness to that, yes. Yeah, but because Arachnophobia is a more modern movie and they're intentionally trying to be silly for the most part, that kind of like separates it from that unintentional silliness of Mothra versus Godzilla and that kind of outdated style of filmmaking or style of effects. So that's why I'd put Mothra versus Godzilla first and then Arachnophobia. But uh, yeah, I think they just hit like a lot of the same notes 
to be honest. And I think mm-hmm. it's this might be the most perfect double feature we've ever had, in my opinion. Ooh, that's that's strong. I don't I don't think I would go that far, but I do agree it's a good double feature. I'm not going to necessarily change the order. I think the order is fine the way it is. But I'm actually looking into this now. This might be our first child-friendly double feature ever. I think this is the first episode we've ever done where we don't have a rated R film. Or worse. (laughs) Right? I'm I'm looking. I'm, I'm... I've just gotten through all of season one looking at it. There was a, there's at least one R-rated film in every single one of those episodes. <laughs> then season two, we start off with Halloween and House by the Cemetery. Holy shit, a movie that was banned in the UK. Uh, it was Enter the Ninja it was R-rated, I think, right? Oh, I yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, no, King Kong Robinson Crusoe on Mars. That may be the only other exception, though. Oh, and I guess uh, Thunderball Soylent Green, a, a, more, a far more recent episode also. But this is a, a rare child-friendly double feature where a kid can sit down and watch both these movies. Arachnophobia might be a little intense for them, but I think for the most part, you know, a 12-year-old still get a lot out of that and still enjoy it. A 12-year-old, if you're anything like me, when I was 12, you're going to fucking love Mothra vs. Godzilla. <laughs> I, I think I love it even more as a 30-year-old than I did as a 12-year-old, but still, it's a fantastic film. We get bugs, we get negative evil bugs and then we get a positive earth saving bug you know that the balancing the 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 bug the good and evil spectrum with the with the bug depictions in these films i think that's interesting i mean it's not but i'm trying to make it interesting so yes i think it's an excellent double feature right (laughs) so jim thank you for joining me and audience we are actually going to be taking a few weeks off for a few reasons. One, the holidays coming up, so everyone, you know, have a wonderful Christmas. So you have a great New Year. Okay, watch Terror Train on New Year's Eve if you uh, if you feel compelled to. Terror Train. Yeah, it's a Jamie Lee Curtis movie. It's it's the only it's one of two horror movies I can think of set on New Year's Eve. I've it's never not, heard of not this a lot movie. Of them. I'm gonna look this up. It's after. not bad. I enjoy it at least. I I don't know if it's any good. I always liked it, but. So we're going to take a few weeks off. We'll be back in the middle of January. I will have a guest on that episode, Feck, who has been on a couple episodes before. We're going to be doing Face Off, John Woo's Face Off, starring Nicolas Cage and John Travolta as each other, as well as the 1999 classic independent film, The Blair Witch Project. So stay tuned for that. Check out our YouTube, where where I've been posting short clips taken from these episodes recently. So we look forward to being back in your lives in January. In, in th- I think it's three weeks' time, right? Three weeks before we break into your homes and you hear from us once again. So thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll, we'll catch you next time. Happy holidays. <laughs>